Sinclair Ferguson once wrote, Christmas has become a secularized and commercialized season. But there is an old Latin phrase that's translated, the the abuse of something shouldn't be allowed to destroy its proper use. So the best cure is for Christians to celebrate the real meaning of Christmas. Speaking for myself, the more I have been able to hear or preach about Christ's coming, the more help I have received to focus on what really matters during December. Otherwise, I'm swimming against the tide with a Scrooge-like spirit. Bah humbug, he says. And if so, I not only have no joy in celebrating the Incarnation, I lose all sense of joy completely. No, what I need is what the great Scottish theologian Thomas Chalmers called the expulsive power of a uh, new affection. Knowing more about Jesus and Him coming brings a joy that is both deeper and more lasting than all the tinsel and glitter celebrations around us. We, We are... Taking Sinclair's advice, though we had already decided to do so before I read the article from which this quote comes. But we're going to take his advice and we're pausing from our study of Ephesians to focus on what really matters this season. And we're doing so so that we don't lose all sense of joy. Because the reality is it doesn't take much to reach that point of bah humbug. I mean, when you think about it, uh, the commercial onslaught now begins in September. The idolatry and lack of contentment within the human heart is blatantly put on display the day after or even now the evening of that time we pause to give thanks for all that we have. And... And the real meaning of Christmas is being defined by Hallmark and Lifetime. So this month, we're going to celebrate the Incarnation. We're going to take the time to commemorate Christ's first coming and His second. And looking forward to His second. We're going to delve a little more deeply into the Messiah that... Israel was longing for and looking forward to, and and we're going to take the time to to delve more deeply into the Savior that we long long for to come again. We're going to spend the first day of the week, these next five weeks, and as I told the children, we, we do this every week, but we're going to take this time to focus specifically on the incarnation of Christ and reorient ourselves around Him. Because of all that's going on around us. So we're going to, beginning this week, we're going to look at Christ our prophet. Christ our priest. And Christ our king. And then Christ our suffering servant. And then Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. And so if you don't mind, I'd like to pray for not only tonight, but for uh, this month if we could. So let's bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do pray in these 
uh, not only tonight, but in these next five weeks, that you would grant us the opportunity to, that we could come and gather, as we always do. We're grateful for our church, and we're grateful for the time that we have to reorient ourselves around the gospel and, and the Lord Jesus Christ. But we would ask that in this next month, that in the midst of that onslaught, in the midst of all that will be going on around us, that you would grant us favor that we might come and gather and reorient ourselves around Christ, who He is, what He has done for us. May, may our eyes remain affixed upon Him. May our ears remain open that we might listen to Him. And I ask all these things in His name. Amen. Well, if you would, turn your Bibles to... Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy 18. In chapter 1 of John's gospel, we read that the priests and Levites ask John the Baptist, are you the prophet? We read in John chapter 6 that the people, after witnessing the miraculous sign and feeding of the 5,000, that they begin to ask, or they begin to say, this is the prophet. We read later in John chapter 7, after hearing him speak, that the people began to say, this really is the prophet. And so there's a very, I think, a very clear question for us and for others, and that is, why all the talk of a prophet? And not why just the talk, or talk of a prophet, but why talk of the prophet? Well, I think and I believe the answer is found in Deuteronomy 18, and it was something that Matt has read earlier, but I wish you would all, if you can, please stand with me in the honor of God's Word once again, and we're going to read our specific text where, we'll, where we will begin uh, tonight. We're going to end up further to the right, but we're going to begin tonight in Deuteronomy 18. Verses 15 to 18, so hear now the word of the Lord. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and I shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that I shall speak in, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. May God add his blessing to the reading, preaching and hearing of his holy and inerrant word. You may be seated. So while the talk of a prophet, the answer is because God had promised a prophet. It had been something he had promised. From the beginning of history, God has been in the business of revealing himself to his people. And throughout the Old Testament, he chose to do that through, his, uh, through prophets. And the most famous of which, of course, is Moses. And here in Deuteronomy 18, God promises to Moses to raise someone up like Moses... A man like Moses, a Jew like Moses, someone uh, who would be God's mouthpiece, someone through whom God would speak, uh, someone who would speak for him, to communicate for him to his people. 
someone that would stand between a sinful people and a holy God as mediator. And they would speak of sin, that would rebuke his people of their sin. He would warn them of judgment. He would call them uh, to repent. And that same person would, would proclaim also mercy and forgiveness and pardon. That same person would provide direction. And, and this prophet, this person that God would raise up would be a voice of hope and of peace. And over the years, after that promise, prophets came and prophets went. All fulfilling the role that God had called them to, but in the words of the Lord through the prophet Zechariah, the people did not hear or pay attention. And so you can imagine kind of what was going through the minds of the people when that 400 years went by and they never heard anything again. More than likely what went through their head was, well, God has simply given up. He's thrown up his hands and, and basically saying, what's the use? They're not listening anyway. And we get that because, as Jenny Miller said this past week in women's Bible study, we live trans, transactionally. We live expecting to get after we give. And we want that to be, in that giving and that getting, we want that to be equal, both in quantity and substance. And when it's not, we don't know what to do with it. We, we end up, you know, if, if giving is on our side, we look at others and we, we feel like we're owed something. If the getting is on our side, we get uncomfortable and think, well, we owe them something. Somehow we're indebted because we have, it's not even Stephen. But unlike the Israelites, and unlike you and me, God doesn't work that way. And unlike the Israelites, and unlike you and me, God also remembers and keeps every single promise that he's ever made. Not one has gone unfulfilled. He remains faithful despite our unfaithfulness. He remains faithful despite our faithlessness. His faithfulness is great even when ours is waning or is poor or non-existent. His faithfulness is great and prior, let's think about this, prior to entering the promised land, the people of Israel said, all this we will do. And they didn't. You and I, like them, we, we've promised to love and serve God only. And yet, our hearts, Calvin says, are, are idol factories. And our affection for Him wanes and we love ourselves and the things of the world more than we love Him. We've made promises to love our spouse and to love our friends and to love one another and to love our neighbors. And yet what happens? We, we end up failing to seek what's in their best interest because we're too busy looking for what's in our best interest. We don't keep our promises. But fortunately for you and for me, uh, the lack of promise, you know, we are not promise keepers. God remembers and keeps every single promise He's made. 
And he kept this one that he made in Deuteronomy 18. And we heard Ernie read it earlier from Peter's prayer. Peter says in Acts 3, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. So Peter basically says, The prophet God promised has in fact come. He's come. And he came in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was born of a virgin, he was Mary and Joseph's son. He was born in Bethlehem. So he's an Israelite. He's the prophet. He was a a man like Moses. He was a Jew like Moses. But he also fulfilled the role of a prophet. In Luke 22, uh, Luke tells us that he did, that the Lord Jesus did whatever the Father told him to do. In John chapter 8 and in John chapter 12, we read that Jesus said exactly what the Father wanted him to say. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and man. And we read throughout the Gospels that what? That Jesus came because of sin. He came that He might save His people from their sin. He came proclaiming uh, and rebuking people of their sin. He came asking and warning of of judgment and asking for people to repent. But He also came proclaiming uh, mercy and proclaiming forgiveness and proclaiming pardon. He came providing direction and He was. He was that voice of hope and peace. He fulfilled that promise. But it gets better. It gets better even than that because while he was like Moses and that he was a man and that he was a Jew and that he fulfilled all those responsibilities and that calling of being a prophet, Jesus was also God. John chapter 1 tells us that he was with God in the beginning, and He was God in the beginning. And He came, John writes further, that He came and took on flesh, actually tabernacled, that He might dwell among us. He, he brought God out into the open for all to see. And that's why Jesus, even in John 14, says, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. And the writer of Hebrews Agrees. He concurs. Where he says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Because he was the God-man and the radiance of his glory and the exact imprint of his nature, he was greater than Moses. 
and he was greater than all the other prophets that had come before him. Yes, Moses and the Old Testament prophets had spoken truth. They spoke the truth from the Lord. That's why many times they would say, thus saith the Lord. And yet, it was Christ who not only spoke truth, he was the truth. And unlike Moses and Elijah and others that had gone before him who pointed to Christ, Christ himself did what? Pointed to himself. Why? Because he was not only the truth, but he was also the way and the life. And why is that? Why, would, why is there nothing for him to point beyond himself? Well, let's remember our study from Ephesians chapter 2. Right? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Romans 1 says that we, our foolish hearts were darkened. Paul goes on to say that we, have, we had exchanged the truth of God for a lie. As we come back to our study of Ephesians in chapter 4, the first thing that we're going to read is that we once walked in the futility of our minds. And that we were darkened in our understanding because of our sin. And in other words, we were wandering through life without truth. We were were walking through life blind to the truth. We were rejecting the truth uh, and we had no desire or hope for change. But through Christ and only through Christ, the better Moses and the greater prophet, God has been brought out into the open and we now see. God has been brought out into the open and He's been revealed to us and our ignorance has been cured. Our darkness has been removed. Because why? Because He is the light. And our minds have been enlightened and the veil has been lifted and our blindness is now gone. But there's one more thing. Not only has He come, that promised prophet has come, that promised prophet the Bible tells us will come again. We're looking forward to His return. We look forward to that day. We're about to say it together. We're going to stand together and we're going to proclaim that He will come to judge the living and the dead. But just before we say that, we say something else. We will repeat and say together that He, having ascended, is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And there is a a tendency for us to think Him having gone and ascended and having sat down that He's no longer functioning in that role or in that office as prophet. And that's not true. Though He has come as He promised, as, as the Lord had promised, and though He did come and He has ascended... He will come again, but in the meantime, He continues to speak. He continues to speak to His people. And the question we obviously ask is, well, how? How does He do that? Well, listen to these words from, again, John's Gospel. John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them... You have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. 
Later on in John 14, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then later on in John chapter 16, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. But if I go, or he said, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see him no long, see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare to you all that the Father has is Mine. Therefore I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. He continues to speak. How? Well, the Scriptures bear witness to Christ. And since the Holy Spirit, we know from 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Holy Spirit is the divine author of Scripture. It makes sense, right? And, and the Spirit proceeding both from the Father and the Son, it makes sense that the Spirit would be the one who would open our hearts and minds and understand the truth of the Scriptures. It's the Spirit that gives us wisdom and understanding. So in reality, Christ continues to speak as our prophet. He continues to speak through His written Word. And that's really what we've been talking about over these last couple of weeks in Ephesians chapter 4. It's the same truth. Anytime we read the Word, God is speaking. But anytime we gather in His name and we gather for worship, remember that we should never forget that it's through the gift of the teaching ministry, it's through the gift of word and sacrament that God speaks to His people and builds up His church. And so there's... Listen to these words from Ken Riddlebarger. He says, and he, he puts it this way, whenever the minister of the word opens the Scriptures for us, there's a profound sense in which Christ our prophet is speaking to us through His Word every bit as much as if He Himself were standing in our presence and speaking these words audibly. It's no wonder that James wrote, not many of you should become teachers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. The, serious, the seriousness of the preaching of the Word of God. Because through it God continues to fulfill, Jesus continues to fulfill the prophetic ministry. That He was promised to do. So the prophet... God had promised came, as promised, He will come again, and until then He continues to speak. 
So for you and I, what what are we to do? Brothers and sisters, the answer is listen. Listen. This is what God said to Moses in Deuteronomy 18, right? I'm going to send a prophet. Listen to him. And the consequences were dire. But this isn't the first time, or that wasn't the last time, or the only time that we read this exhortation to listen. Matthew writes in his gospel in chapter 17, he says, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. They're standing on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter's caught up in the moment and he wants to make them tense and God has to interrupt. Imagine that, Peter. But God has to interrupt. Say, listen, yeah, Moses is here and Elijah's here, but that one right there in the middle, that's my son. Bigger and better than either of these two. Listen to him. They pointed to him. I'm pointing to him. Listen to him. He's greater than these two. Brothers and sisters, in this Advent season, in the midst of the decorating and the baking and the eating and the music and the shopping and the Christmas programs and the parties and the sappy movies, and the family events, and the emotions, the highs and lows of this season. Listen to Jesus. Listen to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let the world and the abuse of this season... In all the commercialism and everything that's going on, don't let it drown out the voice of the one in whom we celebrate. He speaks today to you, his people. He is the one who took on flesh and dwelt among us and was obedient to the point of death on the cross for you and me Listen to Him. Listen to Him. He went to the cross that we might have life and have it abundantly. Listen to Him. May we turn our eyes and our ears to the Lord Jesus Christ so that all of the commercialism, all the sentimentality and the harried pace of this next month, that it would grow faint and it would grow dim in light of His glory and grace. Listen to Jesus this season.
And if you aren't a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've never professed or if you've never confessed and repented of your sin and turned to faith in Christ, would you consider listening to Him? Listen to Him. There are a lot of competing voices. There are a lot of false prophets out there. You, all you have to do is turn on the television or turn on the radio. They're all vying for your attention. And I encourage you this season, I encourage you tonight, don't listen to them. Listen and turn your attention to Jesus Christ. Listen to Him. And for all of us, all of us in this room tonight, and I said this after Thanksgiving, but I'm going to say it again. The season is fun and enjoyable for many of us. But for many, it's also very hard and disappointing. There are gatherings in which a lot of happy memories are shared, and there are times alone where, where those memories aren't so happy. And are the exact opposite and sad. And some houses are full, but some houses are empty. And there are a gamut of emotions and circumstances that run their course. Even, even not just from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, but just from day to day. And when you add to that the weariness that comes from just... The good stuff of the hospitality. You know, we, our, our ladies did a spiritual gift inventory a couple of weeks ago at the, at the retreat. And many of them have the gift of hospitality. But ladies, right, you have that gift and yet you're still at the end of the party or at the end of the gathering, you still feel weary. But it's a good weariness. But you add to that those, that, that emotional investment that we have to kind of... We have to give in the midst of those gatherings. And those, again, those are positive. But when you add uh, the busyness that's associated in many cases with making impressions and feeling as though you have to earn approval or, or the, the emotions that are tied up in, do I need to, you know, I, I've got to go and, and face this relative who's been nothing but antagonistic. And then for those who deal with the weariness that comes with just wanting to set aside and avoid everything about it and seek to numb or escape or avoid the experiences and the emotions altogether. Every one of us in this room are in dire need of listening to Jesus. Listening to the Lord Jesus Christ and hearing Him. Oh, that we would remember that He fulfilled the office of prophet, but He was much more. He wasn't your average prophet because guess what, folks? Moses and Elijah were sinners like you and me. Jesus was not. That prophet who was promised, whose birth we celebrate this season, in Paul's words, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together." 
He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, and you, and you, and me, we were all once alienated and hostile in mind. Doing evil deeds, and he has now reconciled us by the body of his, or his body of flesh, by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Amen. We've been reconciled to him. And he speaks to us today. Brothers and sisters, he was promised. He came. He's coming again. Until then, he speaks. We should listen. Not only this season, but every season. May it be so. Let's pray together.